Hello, this is Culture Bites coming to you from the National News in Abu Dhabi. I'm Inaz Rifai. And I'm Farah Andrews. Today we'll be talking about the Sharjah International Book Fair and we'll also be talking about Matthew Perry's legacy in the Arab region and how Friends impacted everyone here. We're also going to take a look at Arab hip-hop artists coming together for a brand new track and which exhibitions you should check out with our Man About Town. So let's kick off with the Sharjah Book Fair. This is a big thing that happens every year. It is enormous. I had... I don't want to say it underestimated how big it was before I started kind of working on it frequently, but it is major. Sharjah art, Sharjah literature, Sharjah books, all massive, massive events, but this one is a very big event in the UAE. It brings together all different publishers. I mean, I've got a publisher um, relative, relative publisher, <laughs> in my family, and she oh, said okay. that like her only experience of the UAE is actually Sharjah because of this book fair. Ah. I think I read it has 2,000 publishers coming and taking part. Wow. Which, if that number is wrong, my apologies. But that's what I think. I think that's the correct number. <laughs> so, so I read as well. We've been, we've been fact-checking. I've just been reading. <laughs> Figure checking. <laughs> so 120 speakers are expected at the Sharjah International Book Fair this And they year. are not small names. They are not. Go and give us some... And they're not even niche names or no. purely names in the literature... Field. We have got some big people coming in. Do you want to kick us off? Okay, so I'm going to kick off with one of my favourite writers of all time, oh. which is Malcolm Gladwell. Yes. A uh, huge fan of his books. Really made me uh, rethink how I was bringing up my children. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh? Oh, well, he talks a lot about, I think it's a couple of his books, like Talking to Strangers is actually one of my favourite books of all time because I think... It's about like how we communicate with the outside world and how we communicate with lots of different people. And he says that actually a lot of like the kind of uh, aggressions that can happen are often because we're talking to strangers and we don't know how they receive information and how we receive information. Huh. It's really interesting. So he's kind of like this, uh, I think he's a psychiatrist. I actually don't know. Uh, but he kind of like psychoanalyzes. Definitely a journalist. And um, we <laughs> know. He's they're the smartest of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true. Hey. Uh, <laughs> but I think that like what I do find really good about his books is it kind of like reframes situations that you could be living in and it kind of gives you a different opinion. So the other one was Outliers, which really affected me when it came to my children. Mm-hmm. Because he was talking about the, like, you know, the biggest names. So name the biggest names, like Steve Jobs, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos, these huge names, huge influential people that have come into our lives. Mm -hmm. And we all know their names. And they're all born in the same four months. Oh, okay. Right. So he just kind of like measures up statistics with... Um, people's achievements in the in the book Outliers, and I found it really interesting because, like, if you want to be a good sports person, that's so yeah, sports is where this really comes into. Yeah, especially if like your teams or how they pick teams is based on the year you were born, or perhaps it's based on. Um, it's, it, well, basically, it's based more on that than your ability. Like sports people are like September, October, November that's in it. the Western world yeah. because it's kind of like a lot of school years kind of start from September. They're the strongest. And the difference between a four, five, six-year-old is very significant huge. in this kind of six months of development, right? And so when children yeah. are kind of starting and picking up sports, it's huge. I read, um, this was, did not see us going here today, but very <laughs> initially about um, Canadian ice hockey. And the, there was a wife of 
one of the managers who noticed that every single player was born in September, October, September, October. And then it kind of like led to this study about birth and sport, which is amazing. These are the kind of things that things that Malcolm really dissects in his books. Um, so he's become kind of like, I would say, like one of the leaders in kind of looking at statistics and then looking at, um, you know, human society. So it's kind of a bit anthropological, yeah. but everything else. You know this about, about me, that I'm a huge fan of listening to books. Yeah. So all, a lot of his books, he records himself. That's the best kind of audiobook, though. Yeah. So he records it himself. So you hear it in his own voice, but he also um, uses his snippets. So it's a bit like a podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he's going to be here. We've got a little while until his talk. He's doing a keynote speech and it's on November the 11th. So people have time to go and get tickets if they want to go and check out that talk at the book fair and we've actually skipped the biggest name i think of, of like i think it's the biggest name um at the moment in I mean, the media currently yeah. currently he's definitely dominating is probably like one of the most watched videos at the moment on definitely youtube getting his fair share of headlines yeah <laughs> written by us <laughs> <laughs> basim yusuf yes. um who is the like very famous Egyptian comedian. It's really interesting because I have known Basim Yusuf for a really, really long time. Yeah. Um, watching like Arabic media. But all of my English friends know him now because yeah. of this viral video with Piers Morgan. And it has been huge. That is, I think it's more than 20 million views, which is incredible. Piers Morgan has said it's the most viewed of Piers Morgan Uncensored that's ever gone on, mm. on YouTube ever. And so, yeah, he's coming and he is doing a keynote speech uh, in a couple of weeks on the, November the 10th. Yeah, um, I can't wait for that. That's going to be really good. We've also got, and just a few, a couple, one more name we do have to talk about too much, but Karina Kapoor, absolutely enormous name in Bollywood. Royalty. She is coming and she is going to be talking um, mainly about her book about pregnancy, which I think is pretty awesome. That's lovely. I remember like as a, as a kid, you know, like people weren't pregnant on TV. Or like famous people would like hmm. hold things in yeah, front they, of their teeth. I was going to say. Do you remember when you used to hold there's things? There's a lot of bags. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of big totes. <laughs> Whereas like, I think like in recent years, that we've become more accepting of the fact that some people have babies. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe script writers are like badgering. <laughs> Actually, maybe they could be pregnant. Shall we talk about music? Yes. Right. Big music news this week. Huge. Yeah. So this is really big in the region that a track has been made and curated by 25 yeah. artists in this region. I think that just shows how much everyone's trying to come together in this like sense of like a bit helplessness at the moment. Yeah, and kind um, of use what they do kind of day to day to kind of raise awareness and kind of share their kind of message of solidarity with people in Palestine. Which is just like what we've been doing on this podcast. I think we've mentioned it every single week. Yeah, for sure. Since the 7th of October. And that is because, you know, it's all on our minds. Yeah. So I can understand why everybody in any kind of capacity that they can, they're trying to raise awareness of Especially the issue. Especially when you're creative and you're a... So I'm... Correct me if I'm wrong. The artists are by and large hip-hop artists. But we haven't said the name of the song. Rajain. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Good. Rajain. Which means it's translated as returning. Correct? Yes. Okay, so that is the name of the song. We've got 25 hip-hop artists, primarily hip-hop artists, who have come together to record the track. But it is not, I would say, a hip-hop track. I mean, it's an epic. Yeah. It's eight minutes long. <laughs> it's, and it's emotional, as you would expect. And there are elements of, I mean, it's like 
pan genre. There is like there is ballad in there. There is there are definitely some like pop riffs. We have some rapped lyrics. It's but yeah, epic. It's, is it's the word. an epic. Yeah, it's yeah. like a ballad. I mean, we've got a Froto. Um, there's Marwan Pablo, both from Egypt. You mm-hmm. have the Jordanian viral Isam Al Najjar, um, Syrian singer songwriter um, Ghalia Shakir. Enormous names, huge names, and also like again, really from the region, but really from that community of like online, mm-hmm. like art, which is like definitely current. Like we're not talking about your older stars. You're talking about this like new wave, yeah. which I think is really mirroring what is happening um, elsewhere in the world. It's mm-hmm. like, I think the younger generation are definitely taking to social media um, and trying to raise awareness and, you know, get aid into Gaza. Yeah. And I think when we, we're thinking about the way creatives respond to enormous news and incredibly emotional news um and that is to kind of do what they can with their chosen medium and so we've seen and spoken about film literature and we've we, away from the podcast looked at a lot of artists who are p- producing pieces mm-hmm. and um all of the money and the proceeds from those sales are going to charities that are supporting people on the on the ground in Gaza or trying to support them as much as they possibly can and then it just makes perfect sense that there's 25 musicians that have been moved to pen this enormous piece of music. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is this is this longer than Live Aid? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, Live Aid has had like seven iterations now. That's an exaggeration, like three or four. Uh, so, but Live Aid is pretty long. I mean, I'm glad they didn't get Geldof involved in this. It's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> but all the money from the um, from the track is going to go to the Palestinian Children's Relief Fund. Um, I will say, I mean, if you watch the video, the it comes up with a warning itself because there is some quite um, distressing footage. But I think it's also footage that is important and worth watching. There is it's a, there is a real focus on the children on the ground, and it's some quite new and current footage. And there's also historic footage of. Gaza and of Palestine so it's um it's a really I mean of course it's going to be well put together but it's it's very thoughtfully created and curated as a um as a piece of work you know I think last week as well we were all really uh hit with the news of Matthew Perry uh, passing away in the states yes um but we wanted to talk about a bit about the legacy of friends mm-hmm. in this region so Friends is like one of those programs which definitely travelled across borders more than we'd think. It it was it, it is a cult classic. I thought you were gonna stop at cult. <laughs> well, stop. You, you, could, no, it's a you cult. could have just stopped at cult. It, I mean People it's, love it's, it. It's wildly popular. <laughs> Still. And the fact that it um you kind of see these like waves every kind of five years or so that people kind of like they guess like this like re- Reinjection of popularity and people kind of start from the beginning again and it's like these cycles of people that are discovering it for the first time and then obviously there are people that watch it now and they're like hmm, that joke didn't land maybe the way it, it did in <laughs> it 1994 <laughs> <laughs> there's a few jokes like that but the fact that it does still stand is like real testament to how good that show is I I mean I liked it a lot I, I really grew up with friends so 1994 I wasn't watching it because I would have been quite young then but by the kind of like 97, 98, it was a show that I really bought into. I remember like I was obsessed with getting like the box sets and they were not cheap. 
And so like every Christmas and every birthday, I was like, what about like season one now? Can I then get season two? <laughs> Were they so, on video or DVD? I remember having DVDs. So this would have been probably when I was like after t- at the okay. age of 10 trying to collect the DVDs. You're probably like younger than me then. Every Great. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> you know I'm younger than you. <laughs> but I think like, so why I wanted to um, talk about it was because it was huge here yeah. and in the region because a lot of people learn English. Which um, is such a, yeah, what a strong way of English, doing it. Yeah. Conversational English. I'm trying to think of something that I have tried to do the like reverse of because I learned Arabic a bit later in life and whether I tried to watch anything in Arabic. But I can't think of a show in the Middle East that I watched to learn Arabic, except for Bab al-Hara, which is a really like... <laughs> It's like a really old Syrian drama, but it's set in old Syria. So if I spoke like that... People would be like... People would be like... The equivalent of a Victorian lady just running around. Pretty much, yeah. It'd be like, mahe. I think you should. I tried to do it. I've tried to do the Syrian accent. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, this was really important for a lot of people here in the Middle East because it was shown across the board in the Middle East and lots of people learn the jokes mm-hmm. and learn the like you know the, the kind idioms of idioms like, and sarcasm yes. and like the kind of nuance of language that you don't get from a textbook exactly and the we've I've spoken to a few people and people they've kind of said that Friends was the first major Western import TV show that came to this region and was just a household common popular hit mm. like ev- like everyone watched it yeah and it's it does transcend like a lot of age barriers I mean if you were watching it at ten yeah. I mean, is it okay? Are there any? It's pretty PG. It's pretty PG. But um, so going back to Matthew Perry, Matthew Perry was like probably my favourite character. He was definitely my favourite character. He played Chandler. And I think the reason why he was so important was because for a lot of Brits, we related the most to him because his character was sarcastic. Massive sarcasm. What He doesn't, there's like barely a straight sentence that comes out of his mouth in like the whole show. Everything is very dry and flipped. Could I be any more serious? <laughs> oh. There's been a lot of captions like, could I be any more sad? Oh. Which is the, sad. Yeah. Well, it's look good that he'll live on in your Oh my goodness, what a box set. <laughs> <laughs> I need to dig them out of storage. They're somewhere in England if my parents are paying for that. <laughs> But I think like, yeah, it's great to see that like everybody is kind of like reminiscing about that time, but also talking about how it relates to them. And over here, it's, you know, it's a huge part of a lot of people's lives. So I think a lot of people will be really sad that he passed away. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And he was the youngest cast member from Friends. Which, I mean... He's he's spoken about the fact that he doesn't want his like legacy to be how troubled he was and kind of looking back on that and he kind of he did have his life very much on track at like mm-hmm. in terms of kind of some of his health issues that he's had very publicly and spoken about very publicly and he didn't want that to be his big legacy so I don't think we should dwell on that too much but we can just talk about like yeah the humor that he brought to everybody and how much he worked with people to help with addiction charities that should be his kind of legacy because he he did so well with it. Yeah, he did. So, God rest your soul, Chandler. Oh, Chandler. Perry. And here he is, our man about town. Hello, hi. How are hi. you all? How's it going? Welcome back. Thank you. I'm just realising that nobody who's actually listening to this is seeing my jazz hands. Yeah. <laughs> but people who are watching are. watching, yes, And that hands. is important. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell us what's been going on, what is going on, what are you doing? So, um, so far, since we have begun this wonderful podcast, I'm always talking about things to do in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, but I have a treat. 
Ooh. for people to head down to Sharjah. Down or up? Up. Head head up to Sharjah. Yeah. Is it? Well, head to Sharjah. The um, Northern Emirates. The Northern Emirates. <laughs> there is a super cool exhibition that I went and saw on Tuesday, and it is at the Sharjah Islamic Heritage Museum, and it's called Zina. Uh, Zina, the decorative arts. So Zina in Arabic means the decorative arts. Mm -hmm. And it's a whole exhibition about... Um, Indian jewelry from the Indian subcontinent in the 16th, 17th, and the 18th century. Ooh. It's a very, very cool exhibition, super diverse. And it's about when um, the intersection from where Islam and the Indian subcontinent kind of met and how all the in Indian artisans and craftsmen um, created this new aesthetic in their designs that's influenced by, you know, Indian, Indian traditions and um, Islamic sort of de decorative arts. And so the exhibition has daggers, it has jewelry, it has a rug, it has... Um, just one rug. Just one huge massive wow. rug. Yeah, like a really big one. Um, and it also has Making like... a statement with one. Yeah, exactly. And it, it hangs on the wall. So you can really look at the detail oh. as well. Oh. Um, and it has these really beautiful... Um, Ornaments that you never think about, like um, a, a Quran holder, like a little Quran Easy. holder that's beautifully like decorative and designed with like real gems, like rubies and wow. diamonds and gold and stuff like that. My favorite piece was this dagger from the 17th century and the hilt. So that is the bit that you hold, if you don't know what a hilt is. Thank it you. is... Um, I, I didn't know what a hilt is. You didn't? Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you? Oh. You yeah, don't know yeah. what a hilt is? Yeah. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? Because oh, I, I knew. Yeah. Yeah, you should anyway. know your hilt from your blade. Yeah. <laughs> so the hilt and the sheath. Do you know what a sheath is? Yes, yes. I do actually know what that you is. You do? Yeah. Okay. It's the thing that covers the blade. Exactly, yeah. So it's... <laughs> the dagger quiz. The, the dagger. Wasn't, I wasn't expecting it, but I'm loving it. It's a rush. <laughs> Should be a segment, the dagger quiz every every uh, every week. But yeah, so the sheath and the hilt are um, have this beautiful sort of like peacock like pattern, and it's made from these rubies that are all the exact same degree of clarity and brightness. And the design of it ended up influencing a lot of European um, jewelers, like the Cartiers and all of these guys mm -hmm. that do really cool jewelry stuff. But what's so cool about the hilt is that there's three animals combined animal shapes combined in it so there's like a tiger head and then the shape of an elephant and then a horse's head all in one all in the hilt it sounds incredibly ornate it's so ornate but it's also like stylized you can't kind of tell until you focus you're like, oh i see a tiger i see an elephant oh, I see, wow. you know so it's really cool because you can look at one little piece that is a weapon but it's also so stunning and beautiful mm. this reminds me of this time when I was like everything that enters my home has to be really beautiful I, I bet a story yeah, <laughs> yeah I bet they had that thought and they were like we're gonna have a really beautiful rug really beautiful yes. dagger really and beautiful. everything has like a cool context historically oh. or with, with the royal family I mean that's really cool in a museum but in your, in your house you know when you buy Ikea furniture you can't really have a story <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a story your furniture has a great story <laughs> actually my furniture does yeah, oh, yeah. it's all basically found Facebook, oh, mar oh, Facebook wow. marketplace. That's yeah, found found That's furniture. Perfect. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, we believe in found objects. We do believe in found objects. Isn't there an artist that does that? Just finds found things. Yeah, Larry Rivers. There uh, we go. I think uh, in the 1970s, he created an exhibition, uh, a piece of work, which is a bed that he used to sleep on, and he just put it in the museum. Huh. I think it's called Bed. I think very original. But yeah, so it's about like objects. If you take them out of their of their you know, usual spaces and they put them in the museum, they automatically become art. 
Not know. for everyone, but you know, it's Tracy a cool Tracy Emin did that as well with her bed. Yeah, oh, I really? went to go and see that. Yeah. Oh. I made bed. How many? So every artist's art. That's her art. And actually, Andy Warhol has a film where he's just asleep for 15 minutes. That was yes. really popular. Back and then in somebody the day. recreated that with David Beckham asleep. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. There's like a 15 minute video of David Beckham sleeping. Wow, artists are really obsessed with beds and sleeping. I mean, it's... Where we I, all are. It's where, <laughs> where I'm most inspired. <laughs> we spent half of our lives there. In bed? Yeah. Is yeah. it half? Is it? Well, like minus. Yeah. Minus. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on your aptitude. Yeah. I, I clock off every day at eight. And then I'm there. <laughs> Another really cool... Um, actually, speaking of pop art, um, like Andy Warhol and Larry Rivers, there's a very cool... It's not technically pop art, but you'll see what I mean. There's a very cool exhibition. We'll <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Um, at um, El Sadkal Avenue in Zawiya Gallery by a Palestinian artist called Sahar uh, Nasser. And the exhibition is called The Front Side Strikes the Most. Hmm. So he uh, is a Palestinian artist, like I said, and he is really interested in the narrative of the soldier. So what does it mean to be a soldier? What is the story of the soldier? And he has no specific opinion. He's kind of just observing the things that soldiers go through in their training, what they represent as, you know, the, the face of this, you know, big power structure or, uh, you know, a, a very patriotic face of a country, right? The soldier. And he um, paints, I guess he paints them in this very fun pop culture way. So, not pop culture, pop art way. So with very bright colors, very stylized figures. So when you first walk into the gallery, you think, oh, this is so fun. Like bright colors, kind of cartoonish figures, very stylized. And then you walk up and you see, oh, these are soldiers in uniforms, like doing really different things like training or they're like entering a house. And it kind of makes you question, which is the point of his, his work, mm -hmm. this narrative of, Every soldier, no matter what side they're on, thinks and believes they are completely in the right. So yeah. where is the juxtaposition? Space? Yes. Is so interesting. Exactly. And where is the space for nuanced conversation? Like if you are a soldier and you think you're fully right, and you meet mm -hmm. another soldier from another another side who thinks they're completely right, how do you have that conversation? And he does that with these really fun, bright, poppy colors to make people kind of like be a bit aware or be a bit like, oh, okay, this is fun, but it's sort of not. So does it make you feel like uncomfortable in some ways? It is because it feels like kind of cartoonish. Mm. I mean, it's very skilled. When I say cartoonish, I don't want anyone to think like they're going to go in and see like, you know, cartoonish drawings, but it's, it's, it's very skilled technical work. But you kind of have this weird feeling, right? Because mm. we're used to seeing soldiers and images of, of, war in much more stark colors mm. you know it's obviously like a real fine balance of not trivializing something mm. with yes and it's kind of the medium and then making not making too light of it but then still making it quite accessible well he is a graphic designer by trade and he's worked for some really famous agencies in the uk so he really has an understanding of how to make people think or how to direct a viewer's eye and the ideas based on shapes, color, and composition. So mm -hmm. he does that really well. And he's an artist that's like still alive and working now. Yes, yes, yes. He's yeah. a young guy, mm -hmm. uh, youngish, um, 1986, born. It's How do I know young. that? Very young. Yeah, very young. Very, very so young. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's all I wanted to hear. The youth. The youth. Yeah. I am. <laughs> so his exhibition's on until December. Okay. Oh, great. Yeah. Lots of time lots, then. Lots yeah. of time to go check it out. Okay. Yeah. And there's something else as well. Yeah, you've got one more thing to fill. Yes. I'm as, excited for this one. Yeah. Yeah. As, as you guys know, 
I am obsessed with reading and books. And every now and then a book comes out that everyone talks about the next big, huge book that's going to change the world, right? And as someone who is a Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, um, J.K. Rowling obsessed, Philip Pullman obsessed reader, when this book came into the public discussion, it's called Impossible Creatures by Catherine Randall. I was like, okay, let's see. This is the next book that's going to be a big thing. I was a bit, you know, dubious, a bit spe- skeptical, spectacle, a bit skeptical about it. <laughs> Where's the spectacle? Yeah. So I, it's, it's a, I read, I've read about over half and I was really taken by it. I'm like, this is a really good book. And it definitely has that potential to get people really excited, to get children really excited about the fantasy world. Uh, nice. Is it kind of like aimed at kind of Harry Potter age? Are we looking a bit older? Because I know people like Neil Gaiman, he often writes mm. books that are like kind of some are quite adult and some are quite young. What's this, this is one? aimed for like like kind of the YA age. So like young teenagers, mm-hmm. tweens uh, and younger kids. But also, I mean, I am just out of the teenage years. So <laughs> only, <I'm>, just. <laughs> only just. So I'm really, really enjoying it, especially if you like fantasy. And it's a really great way to think about the environment because the story, I'll tell you guys very briefly without any spoilers, is about a cluster of uncharted islands called the archipelago, which is, you can't get to it unless you go through like a hidden hidden way. And these two children, one guy called Christopher from our world and one girl called Mal from the archipelago world meet to save uh, a drowning griffin. And these adventures that happen in the archipelago, I can't say that word, and all of these mythical beasts that that live there, like dragons and unicorns and some Mm -hmm. creatures that Catherine Randall herself has made up. But the best, what I really enjoy about the book is the way she writes. She's a really, really great writer that has all, like kind of her old doll. She has all of these really great quirky little um, metaphors and words that she uses that makes people kind of think whether you're like an adult or a kid. It's it's a really fun read. You know what I mean? Love it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go buy it this weekend. I have to buy it. I'm not buying just one though because yesterday man gave us some basically <laughs> yeah. some financial advice. So exactly. we need to tell everybody on the podcast actually that we did get some financial advice when we were talking about what we were going to talk about in the show yeah that's what and I do I give financial <laughs> advice that, that's who I am You're just trading <laughs> just basically trading. get the first edition buy yeah. it quick because a lot of like people in the know in the book world have been like this book is going to be a big deal so get a first edition because in a couple of years it'll be a big deal so, so get one for reading one film. for making a million yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> making a hundred bucks <laughs> Like, really, how much do first edition books go for? I mean, Harry Potter's probably a lot. Yeah, down the line. If this becomes, I mean, let's... If, if, when, when, manifest our millions. when, when, when. So (laughs) how much are we looking at for one copy of it? Probably like 60 dirhams? Now? Yeah, Yeah. I think, yeah. So 60 dirhams, a few years' time, you could be getting at least 68. If I don't lose it or give it away to charity by accident. (laughs) Preserve it, put a post-it note on it, angling film. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I did actually once I got a book um, signed by an astronaut he wrote a book a children's book and uh, Chris Hawthorne I believe his name is and um, I got it signed for my daughter oh. I've lost it oh. he even drew a rocket in it lost it <laughs> it must be somewhere lost it in the move somewhere. I don't know probably in the move to this country yeah, mm, yeah. But so if you are going to buy a first edition of Impossible Creatures my one tip is Look after it. Yeah, don't, 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 don't lose it. Lose it. <laughs> don't lose it. <laughs> Hot tip. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about what you've got planned this weekend? Yeah, yes. so I've got something planned for Monday. New York uh, University Abu Dhabi is holding a screening of a Palestinian film called Foragers by the Palestinian filmmaker Jamana Manor. Mm-hmm. And I love foraging. Um, it was a big part of my childhood as well in Jordan. We used to go and pick Zatar. 
like wow. in the hilltops of Karak together. I know. I'm so earthy. So you're going on Monday. <laughs> That's on Monday. So this is on Monday um, and it's at the NYU Film and New Media Programme at the Contemporary Arab Cinema. Um, so yeah, go and check it out. Amazing. I have some less highbrow cinema plans. <laughs> <Girl>. <laughs> Tell us, I'm bracing myself. <laughs> well, guys, the Taylor Swift's era film comes out in cinemas on Friday. It's very big news in the community. And the community, I mean, Swifties. Swifties. <laughs> I just heard man's eyes roll. Like I heard them. <laughs> hey, there's nothing too lowbrow for me. I love it all. So I'm going to go and I'm going to sing every single word <laughs> to this concert. <laughs> is it a concert or is it a film? Well, th- it can be two things at once. You know? Oh, okay. Sorry. So it's <laughs> Those two things are not mutually no, exclusive. Um, you know? Okay, so it's um, a mixing it's a, of genre. No, it's not. It's a, no. it's a recording of her concert. Oh. So it's, it's nice. It's the Eras Tour. The Eras Tour. Eras Tour. Um, brought to cinema, like two and a half hours of just Taylor Swift on stage. And it's, but the thing I do think is genuinely nice about it is that there are a lot of people that haven't got tickets to see this, right? Mm. And yeah. tickets are extraordinary. They're all, they're bare minimum £100. Pounds. Aren't you going to see it? Yeah. So wait a second. Okay, so this is a so conversation. A <laughs> so I'm just wondering, so mm. you're going to see the tour mm. in mm. real life, mm-hmm. IRL, and you're paying to go and see this filmed in the cinema. Okay, so there's, there's, they're two very different experiences because <laughs> when I do go and see the tour, I will be quite, I'm going, I'm seeing it in Murrayfield, which is a very, very big stadium in Scotland. I'm like, the tickets that we've got aren't great. So I'm going to be quite far back. What am I going for? I'm going for the electric atmosphere. I'm going just to go. It's like right? a seven hour flight for electric I'll have a holiday, spent. whatever. It'll be okay. nice. My family but- are all in Scotland. It'll be amazing. Um, and that will be great. But I'm not going to like see the expressions on Taylor's face. <laughs> She's singing my favourite song. I actually did go to see um, Elton John's final concert in the UK at Glastonbury. Oh, and would you is... have liked to have also seen a cinematic version of it so you could really see it? <laughs> I just feel like it would have ruined it. No, it won't. It won't. Okay, sorry. Yeah, of there's, course it won't. There's also the worry yeah. among the European and um, Australasian Swifties, which is a very, very big movement, <laughs> that she's going to change the set list, right? when she does the next leg of her tour. Oh. And this is just the the American one. That's over now. That's done. Mm. That finished. Okay. That is behind us. How many songs has she... She's actually got quite a lot of songs. She's many. Ten albums. Okay. That's got a lot of songs. Almost too many. And then she released five more this week from The Vault. Five albums? No, songs. Oh, songs. Okay. I just read that apparently some um, music... Um, what do you call them? Companies? Universal and all those. Mm-hmm. What do you call them? Music companies? Record companies. Record companies. Record are going to stop... Are going to put a clause in contracts where artists cannot re-record their songs. More than 10 to 20 yeah, years later. Yeah, because of what she's success she's strong. had. Because yeah. she's made an absolute mockery of Scooter Braun, basically. Yeah. yeah. Right well, so. I think it's really interesting, like, you know, artists that write their music and perform their music and then don't have ownership of their music. Ownership of their music. But I suppose I could imagine if someone came up to me, we all know how great my voice is, and offered me a contract. <laughs> Age like 17, right? Yeah, Age like be, 17. Of course, you'll I sign whatever. Sign it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, wait, do I get a car? Great, sign it. Can I pay my rent? Sure, cool. So there's I'll like early it. contracts, that's how they get them. It's quite, but it's the, I mean, this is like and a, she did win. a dissertation. This is a whole podcast series in yeah, and of itself. <laughs> and she won. She Overall, won. she has won. And she became a billionaire this week. And she's the, I think, the only musician, the only person, the only billionaire in music that has 
purely made their money from their music. So like Rihanna's a billionaire, but she's got fashion Fenty and beauty. And, that, yeah. um, yeah. and other people that have got kind of like tech companies and side hustles. But Taylor's is just because people like me buy buy the music, buy the merch. And and watch the film show, the, the go to the stage show. Did I get IMAX tickets? Yeah, it's embarrassing. <laughs> Am I going to get up and dance props? Never Will be my boyfriend come with me? Absolutely not. He ne- says he can't sit beside me singing in the cinema. <laughs> Never be embarrassed for your passions, Farah. I'm not embarrassed. Oh, okay. about it every single week. <laughs> no, 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 I don't think you're... She's not. This is the issue. <laughs> no, it's not an don't issue. Don't shame me for my passions. <laughs> So wait, this is going to go in all theatres in the UAE? I do believe so, yes. Oh, right. I can't promise it's in every single theatre in the UAE. <laughs> Don't just turn out to a theatre and it'll be there and it'll be my fault. Check a website. Definitely is in Vox and Real. A lot of people were really excited about this coming, though, to yeah, the UAE. Because mm. was. there was, there was a, t- a moment where people were like, is it a bit it like the delayed. Barbie music? Yeah, why do they keep movie? doing this? Do films that women are really going to enjoy, they make us wait a silly amount of time. Like Barbie and now this. Yeah, but yeah, it, it, gets it. it gets here. It gets here. It does get Do you know here. what my husband always says? Hunger is the best seasoning. Oh. <laughs> and I am ravenous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's it for today. Um, that's all uh, for Culture Bites. Uh, join us next week where we'll have more to talk about. And if you like this episode, please like and follow and tell everyone you know. Bye.